Hello and welcome to the next class. I'm Rob Birdsell, your host, and joined as always by my co-host Tom Birdford. Tom, how are you this week? I'm doing well, thank you, Rob. Doing well is a first first week of school for us here, so excited to have everybody back in school and schools up and running. It's about time. We started Absolutely. about three weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I'm in the Northeast, so we take our time getting back to school. Yes, no, it's been fun working with schools all across the country as they are headed back. Uh, and this week, we're excited to have a uh, colleague of mine from I met at the Aspen Institute. Brent Madden and I were fellows at the Aspen Institute, their Pahara Fellowship, a number of years ago, and very excited that he and I uh, are going to a reunion later this month with uh, about 12 of our colleagues, and it's going to be super fun. So, Brent, welcome to the next class. Oh, it is so good to be here. Thanks, Rob. Good to see you. And uh, Tom, so good to, to be with you as well. So for our listeners, Brent, uh, most importantly, began his career as a teacher. He was a high school science teacher. He later went on after graduate school from Harvard. He got his master's and his PhD, was a co-founder and provost of the Relay Graduate School, and um, currently is the executive director of the Next Education Workforce at Arizona State University. So before we get into everything here, let's just a brief moment on Relay. I remember this is, you were uh, starting and running Relay when I met you and was really fascinated with it. And so just tell us a little bit about Relay and your work there, Brent, for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, so Relay is, uh, it was a dream job, honestly, right? I, uh, I, went, to, I went to grad school uh, with the hopes of ultimately uh, finding myself in a college of education somewhere and then working within that college of education to uh, try to try to create a program that I myself really would have wanted to go through, uh, right? Mm-hmm. One that was really uh, tightly uh, designed and developed with the community and with K twelve schools. Uh, and, and it turns out, right, that in the middle of getting my doctorate, I got I got a phone call. It was like we have an opportunity to start a brand new teacher training program, which ultimately became a a brand new college of education, the first one in New York State in about uh, 80 years uh, after Bank Street, uh, and to build the thing from scratch, right? Like, what an incredible opportunity. If anything was terrible, it was like my own fault, right? Uh, And so I did that. I did that with uh, with Mamie Hostetter, who is now the current president. Uh, and, and then the, the former president, Norman Atkins, uh, who was a, you know, a founder of Uncommon Schools and, and Robin Hood and lots of other, uh, lots of other. He's a serial entrepreneur. And um, so Relay was a, was a program really forged out of deep partnerships with K-12 schools, uh, marrying theory and practice together, uh, leveraging faculty, uh, both that were full-time at Relay, but also faculty that were coming from our K-12 schools that just had a tremendous amount of like, yep, I taught yesterday and let me tell you what it's like. So, uh, you know, bringing a, a, a level of authenticity uh, to the development of rookie rookie teachers, uh, total dream job. Yeah, I remember spending a lot of time talking with you about it and was really intrigued with it, having spent a little time teaching at DePaul University's College of Education. I was amazed and excited about what you guys are doing there, starting new. Um, But the reason we invited you here, we talk often about innovation and sharing new ideas that we think our listeners will find interesting. And I was reading a paper that that you had written describing some of your work at the Next Education Workforce. So to to set the context for our listeners, what what problem 
are you solving for in this this initiative? So I'll make I'll make the connection to the work that I was doing at, at Relay, right? So mm-hmm. I felt like Relay, like we had tightened the screws on teacher preparation. Like I felt like if people were leaving the profession, you know, it it wasn't because like we hadn't done a bang up job of preparing them, but still people were peeling out, right? They were in the profession yeah. for one, two, three years, and then they were leaving, and and I couldn't shake that feeling. And, uh, you know, and then, then I had a couple of kids of my own. Uh, they're now eight and 10, uh, Alice and Scott. And I think about them, they motivate so much of the work that I'm doing day in and day out, right? Like creating learning environments that are worthy of them and their, and their peers. Right. Um, we, uh, it, 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 yeah, I, I, I couldn't shake, like, what, what if we've actually, as a, as a, basically as a society, thinking mostly about American public schools, uh, private schools, all schools, really, they, they, they look remarkably similar. Mm-hmm. Um, usually one teacher in a box with a certain number of kids, uh, either all day or until so some bell rings and, you know, and kids and kids move. Um, that's the default normative model of, of staffing schools. And I'm not convinced that it's good for teachers I'm not convinced that it's good for kids. And so what if we actually challenged this long-standing grammar of schooling, the way that we normatively staff schools, and instead of saying one person in a box with a group of kids, what if we started to bring a team of educators around a shared common roster of kids? So and that's but, what we're up to. But Brent, there's it's you know, I mean, Rob and I have been super busy because there's a teacher shortage, right? But turns, it, it turns it, out, right? Yeah, it turns <laughs> out. But but you ask this question: What if it's not so much a teacher shortage, but a shortage of people who want to be teachers? What spot on? Well, what does that mean? What are you talking about? I don't quite. In one sense, I don't get that. What do you mean? So, do you do do, do either of you know someone that used to be a teacher who isn't? Right. I mean, it's like, it's like we all do, right? Like it's myself. Like it's probably, it's probably all of us. Like, right. I, I think about the number of um, stay at home parents, right. That are raising young kids that are never going to sign up for 180 days a year at what is it? Eight. No, let's be honest. Like 20, you know, hours a day. It's just like, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a job. I mean, if the pandemic taught us anything, Right. It's that people don't want to be alone and that people want to have more flexibility. If you think about the way that the teaching job is largely organized, it is an incredibly, oddly, ironically, isolating profession. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And second, like, I don't know about y'all, but like, I didn't even need to keep a calendar when I was a teacher because I knew, right? It was like 7.30, turn up the school, like 3 o'clock, then go home, go to the coffee shop, read some stuff, right? There was like no variability. It was yeah. like literally, you want to have a doctor's appointment? You know, a good time to schedule that's like summer. Like that's <laughs> yeah. super weird. That's yeah, so Brent, weird we built that. Yeah. It, it, I mean, having spent seven years in exactly what you described, I, I, that's why I left. And, and I just... I felt like I failed because I couldn't, I just couldn't see myself doing that for 40 years, every day, the same thing. And yes, 
Well, the first day on the job, <laughs> the first day on the job looks remarkably similar to say like the 3,000th day yeah, on the job. Exactly. That's super weird. That's super weird. Yeah. yeah. And you, you've known me a long time. I, I like change. Like, you know, my wife says I've got professional attention deficit because I like change. And uh, it, it seven years, I taught two different schools. I taught different subjects, but I... I, I think what you're onto, Brent, is abs is absolutely fascinating. So, can you go a little deeper into what what you guys are reimagining here beyond just what you what you've shared yeah, so far? I, and you know, I, I I could give you. I'm from the Southwest here, so uh, you know, I, I could give you a mild, medium, and spicy version of this. <laughs> we like spicy in this show. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, uh, the, 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 let's, let's start mild okay. just to wrap our heads around this. And I promise you that we're going to bring some heat. Okay. So <laughs> if we, if we start mild, imagine this, right? And it looks different depending on if it's elementary or if it's secondary, that would be again, weird if it didn't. Um, I would, I would right out of the gate say that there is no one model, right? Like this is not a solution in a box. Right. And you just hit play and you go in. I think that's part of the problem. Right. Is that we have over scripted uh, and we have in some ways deprofessionalized the profession. Right. Curious people like they like they like the non on a, on a, on a you know, on a on an interesting problem or challenge. They want to be respected as professionals and adults. And so, you know, we go to we go to a school. Um, we go to a set of, of, of educators, building level principal or leader. We say uh, something like, all right, so who do you have, you know, as part of your human capital? Here's the mild version. The mild version goes something like, okay, we've got, a, we've got four third grade teachers. Cool. Yeah. Got it. Uh, the way that most schools are organized, you've got four boxes. Those are called classrooms. <laughs> we put 25 kids in each one of those four boxes. Maybe that's done strategically. Maybe that's done randomly. Right. But if you happen to be, um, you know, uh, my, my own child, right? Like he's like he's like a super smart kid. He's like very motivated by uh, math and he kind of gets flummoxed by ELA. And it's very helpful when uh, when he's got a teacher's got his back. He connects this year. He actually has a team of teachers teaching him. He connects really well with one of them. Yeah. And the other is like are fine, but that one teacher has got his back. Yeah. And so now because they're, they're sharing a common roster of students, they actually, um, there, there's, there's so many uh, like degrees of freedom that are now available to that team of teachers. There are things that don't change, right? Like lunch always happens at the same time and an elective always happens at the same time. But really, now in these like four teachers sharing a hundred students, right? Like you might have someone that's great at delivering mathematics instruction that can uh, you know deliver for the whole class or a couple of classes at once, and then let everyone go and start to uh, to learn math in smaller groups. You're maybe leveraging technology during that time, right? And you allow educators to lean into their individual particular strengths. We start to dial up the heat on this and we start to see things like, oh, well, who's in our community that could also be coming in 
as part of this educator team wrapping around this group of students. Maybe it's parents, maybe it's business and industry, maybe it's faith-based leaders, right? Like you can start to then bring the right set of adults around this group of kids. You think about tutoring, you think about, um, you know, student interests. If we're really leaning into to, uh, teaching and learning that's worthy of our kids' time uh, and that it's self, uh, self-directed on the part of the students, um, what you actually what you actually realize is that you need a, a team of people with distributed passion, interest, and expertise mm-hmm. wrapping around that group of kids. In a high school, right, it does look different. You might still have some very content-specific time, but in almost all of the high schools in which we're lucky enough to work, they are like carved out big blocks of time for uh, interdisciplinary project-based learning. Wow. Where the team yeah. of educators now... There's not like, oh, yeah, like uh, you're going to give homework tonight. OK, I won't give homework. tonight. It's not that kind of collaboration. It's like, let's design an interdisciplinary task that's, again, worthy of our students time. So, again, it looks different. But the key innovations here, right, are when you start to move out of the one teacher, one classroom model, it opens up all sorts of new possibilities about the way that we bring people, technology, what we call community educators into the mix. And then you empower those teams to have some more autonomy over their schedule, the way that they group kids. Um, and, and when they have that level of empowered, collegial, what we call collective autonomy, like you start to see them dream and create and organize in ways that right now I feel like teachers feel flummoxed and, and boxed out. Yeah. And, and, and you see a new passion and excitement in them to come to work every single day because they're not going it alone because the first day doesn't look like the 3000th day. If you're a rookie teacher, imagine what it would be like to come into a classroom where you've got a team of colleagues with whom you're actually collaborating. Yeah, not like yeah. a PLC one day a week or margaritas on a Tuesday. Like that's the, not the kind of teams we're talking about. We're talking about like, you know, like we actually as a team of educators are, are, are either sharing the teaching load or, or specializing in aspects of it in such a way that we're like literally addressing the needs of every learner, both academically and social emotionally. Yeah. I think, I mean, Brent, it's, it's this idea of teams of teachers. I think it's been around for a while, but yeah. I'm hearing stuff that you're talking about, which is pretty significantly different. Um, yeah, I can also imagine there's there's some resistance to this. There you go. Yeah, yeah. This is like yeah. I don't know if uh, I don't know if your viewers or listeners, uh, people in podcast land, if you don't see the video, uh, yeah. this is a it's a book. It's called Teen Teaching in Action by Blair and Woodward. Uh, yeah, it's like 1964. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Tom. I mean, you're like but, you're 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 dead right. It's been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. Why did it disappear? And why would it be different this time? Uh, what, yeah, I mean, what, what sort of resistance are you getting to this model? Because, I mean, it sounds great, but I also know that, you know, new ways of doing things, in some sense, particularly if they're, if they're, they're good, uh, can bring up resistance. <laughs> uh, yeah. Turns out I'm holding up now a second book, Podcast Land. Uh, it's called The Fusion of Innovation. 
uh, by Everett Rogers. And if you've ever seen the Rogers innovation curve, right, it's like basically 50% of your population, like eventually, like it's like they're, they're like, they're pretty early. Like they're somewhere between like the people that are like, yeah, like I'll like, I'll get the iPhone before it's released. Right. Like just right. Me, I'll pay as much money as like whatever. Right. And there's like another group that's like, they're at the Apple store on, on release day. And then there's another group that's like, oh yeah, my friends are like, I'm like, I'm hip to this stuff. Right. I'm in. And then, you know, you start to hit about 50% of the distribution curve on pretty much any innovation. Yeah. Yeah. And you start to have to use a different set of tactics. You start to move out of sort of the excitement of like the thing, this new thing to like, what are the data? What does it say? Right. Truth be told, like we're not, I mean, we're, we're still early in this work. We've been at it for like five years. We're working across 10 school systems. Uh, you know, we got about 50 schools that are okay. building these team-based models. Um, the work That's in Arizona. Significant. Yeah, it's like, it's like enough yeah. to like run some interesting tests and yeah. some, you know, some a yeah. little bit of, little bit of like, okay, like what are educators, you know, thinking, feeling, believing, experiencing? What are kids thinking, feeling, experiencing, reporting? Um, we're encouraged by what we're seeing. There's very little that gets in the way of doing this other than like, you know, 200 years of like doing it like the other way. <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> That's it, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it's yeah. cool. Like, uh, you know, um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, in all, in all seriousness, I mean, a, a lot of it is the default normative structures or systems, yeah. right? Like you think about like everything from teacher eval uh, which is like, it's not like, yo, how are you doing with this group of people, you know, to like address all the needs of your kids together collaboratively? And like, it's like, no, it's like, how is your direct instruction? Like, how's your, like, no, nah, it's like all of our instrumentation is built around a one teacher, one yeah. classroom model. You want to like know like the like top answer on the board? Like, why is this like not going to work? It's like the student information systems, right? It's just like that want to assign kids to a particular educator at a particular time, right? Yeah. Or there's weird things like, oh, what's your what's your student to teacher ratio? Well, sometimes it's like one to a hundred, and sometimes it's like one to three, and it actually like changes dynamically depending on how many community educators are in the room, or yeah. are we bringing all the professional educators together, right? It's like it, these are the things that cause like you know bean counting systems to just like start to throw sparks. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick pause here to get a word from our sponsor. Catholic Virtual is the trusted online education partner of Catholic schools worldwide. We develop customized online learning solutions to meet the needs of our partner schools and their students. Visit our website at www.catholicvirtual.com to learn more. Now back to the episode. So, Brent, the um, 1964 team teaching comes out. You know, it's how many, many, many decades later. Um, there is some team teaching. Like if you look at Reggio Emilia schools in early childhood, they have co-lead teachers with an assistant. They actually say the third yep. teacher is nature. But yep. you're going deeper than I think what most people think of like team teaching. You've got, it's not two teachers. Can you go a little deeper into what, what you know, if, if someone's listening, what can try to help them imagine what this looks, looks like in one of the schools you're working with? Yeah, so... Uh, and maybe we, if there are such things as like show notes or something here, we can uh, we can drop in yeah. some actual pictures of some of these school models, right? Like sometimes like pictures worth like a thousand uh, yapping words here. But and right. um, we, 
you know, some of this is like there's there's a challenge in it because what I'm actually presenting to you is not a snapshot, but like a scrapbook, right? Mm -hmm. That like, you know, if, if you had like a sort of a stop motion uh, animation or the gels of like, you know, some animated film or something, you would actually see different configurations and constellations of kids and educators at different moments in time. So like, let me take you through, um, I, I like to ground this in really specific examples, right? So a, a third, third grade um, team at yeah. Stevenson Elementary in Mesa Public Schools in Mesa, Arizona. And okay. so uh, they might start the day as a whole group, there's like 85 kids serviced by, you know, four professional educators. The fourth of those professional educators might be actually a, uh, a student teacher who is like in their senior year, uh, or maybe it's their first year of teaching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they're all in one room. They're having like a family meeting. Uh, they're, they're, they're talking about, you know, like what's going on in the world. Uh, they're talking about how we're working together. The kids are owning some of that agenda, right? And then like 10 minutes later, then uh, they might split into two different rooms uh, where there's like one sort of mini lesson happening in mathematics. Uh, in another room, it might be a mini lesson happening in ELA. You've got about, you know, 40 kids move to each of those rooms. And you've got the very best of those four teachers delivering each respective lesson. And then like 10, 15 minutes later, all of a sudden those like, kids and teachers, like now they're like distributed across what used to be four classrooms, right? And like they're getting um, really specific targeted intervention, help and support in small groups. Some of them are student led, some of them are paraeducator led, some of them are a professional teacher led, some of them are family led because we've upskilled some, some parents uh, who are serving as community educators in these models. And the, and the parents were there listening to the mini lesson too. So they got it, right? It's not like come in and like teach Johnny to read. Like, no, it's like they actually are getting some of A, the training. They don't need a master's degree in teaching and learning. It's fine, right? Like they know how to read and they heard the mini lesson and they got a little bit of training. Right. And so now you're actually playing with a totally different set of educators. And then like you talk about Reggio and you talk about nature being like the third teacher. We have a question about the role of technology as well. Right. And so you might also have some station going on uh, where kids are learning some of this online. Right. But it's like it's it's not to replace the teachers. It's actually we think about these things like high tech, high touch. Right. Like how is it actually leveraging our educators to lean into their true uh, strength and ability. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, if uh, having spent a lot of time working with school leaders, I could imagine them thinking right now, this all sounds great, but I don't think I could afford this. Well, like, what are the financial implications? Does it, does this, does this, and I know it's not a cookie cutter, it's not one size fits all, but what have you seen in general with the, the 40 schools you're working with? Yeah. Uh, you could use this model as much as you want in the same way that you could use like regular teaching and learning right in any classroom. And but, uh, you know, the work that we've done with schools has basically been cost neutral. Uh, right. and in some cases, cost positive. Uh, and let, let me give you a couple of examples. So we we actually worked on this problem with uh, ERS, Educational Resource Strategies, 
uh, and we've got a white paper, a set of resources. We can put that in the show notes too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where it's, where it's, you know, these models should be uh, financially, you know, net neutral uh, for a school because you, you can't you can't burden already stretched thin systems, right? Right. Right. Uh, right, right. Yeah, it'd be great. If we had more money, that'd be awesome. We could do even more. But here, here are a couple of things that start to happen, right? Like, um, you, you go, let's go back to Stevenson Elementary, four third grade classrooms, right? All four of those third grade classrooms used to have a set of 25 student desks. They used to have four classroom libraries. They used to have four, uh, you know, whatever Elmo projection system, four smart boards, right? Like everyone, like, you know, and we outfitted these cookie cutter rooms, right, in exactly the same way. Well, it's actually possible that if you're thinking about a team-based approach, you can lean into flexible furniture. You can lean into like having one classroom library instead of four, right? You could like you start to enjoy some of those savings. Some of our schools, you ask them, the teacher goes out, right? Like they have a doctor's appointment. They want to pre- present at a, a professional conference. Um, you know, uh, they, they're sick for a day, God forbid, right? And, and, and what happens, right, is that the school will sometimes go to the team and they say, hey, team, there's the three of you that are left here today. Do you want a sub? The team almost yeah. always is like, yes, if it's this person, because we <laughs> know that they bought in yep. with the yep. like, reading groups. Or they're like, no, we'll take a hard pass on that. And so, like, those monies, right, then go back into some coffer because we don't actually need the subline. Interesting. Clearly, if I someone's think, out for 10 days, I, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. right? Like, you see yeah, no, that, that well, makes sense. you assistant principals, right? you yeah. got assistant principals. We're not trying to get rid of assistant principal jobs. Uh, but maybe we are talking about shifting them a little bit. Like, we think about, like, student discipline. Right now, you've got four people there's often what's called the lead teacher in these models as well. So that creates yep. a little more vertical trajectory, a little more money. Like this is retention play for some of your best, right. most experienced teachers, right? Like we want to keep these people around, give them more ability to influence the learning of more kids. Um, we see, we start to see, uh, you know, uh, referral rates go down. Like fewer kids getting sent out to some assistant principal because, hey, it's like, oh yeah, you know, Scott, it's my kid. Like... Just go and sit with Mr. Montano for five minutes. And it's like, okay, cool. We know that Montano's got a relationship. Like, that's good, right? And so, like, the teams start to handle some of this internally. I mean, there's, like, all sorts of things. And you start to crack it open. And all of a sudden, right, like, the really, the coolest thing is that when when school leaders and when uh, professional educators start thinking differently, you just watch them go. And like they start to invent new ways of bringing adults around kids. Uh, And sometimes it's not even in the school building, right? I think Krista Ray is like very good example of challenging even like some of those normative structures, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, send your kids outside of the school building. Like it's like you get people going on this and look out. Yeah, I mean, I could imagine, Brent, you know, uh, because I wanted to ask you about, you know, outcomes, but I could imagine teachers wanting to come to work when they're working as a member of a team of adults with students versus a more historical way of going into a box and spending all day with 25 kids. Um, I could see that, you know, um, uh, as a a real positive. But are there there other outcomes, positive outcomes that you've seen or other outcomes that you've learned? 
Yeah, and, and I mean, in some ways, right, uh, Tom, this goes back to your question about, like, what's hard about these models? Like, I don't want to pretend that, like, you can snap your fingers and throw, like, four professional educators onto a team and, like, everything's cool, right? Like, especially because, like, yeah. you know, like, this is, like, you're, like, wedding planning here, right? Like, you got to figure <laughs> out, like, who's sitting with who and, like, you're going to be together for a whole year. And ideally, right, like, the educators get, like, a little bit of say, and who's joining their team, right? You're empowering them and some hiring decisions because like, yeah, I've got to be with these people like for the whole year, right? Yeah. Like this is my, this is my, this is my crew. Um, and, and so, you know, that's not for everyone. I like, I don't want to pretend that it isn't, right? And so some of the systems that we're working with, Mesa Public Schools, they've got 80 schools in their district. They, um, they've made a bold of superintendent, Andy Forlis, made this bold proclamation, she said, you know, in the next two, three years, 50% of our schools, 40 of our 80 schools will be implementing these team-based staffing models. Yeah. They're at about 30 this year, right? Wow. Like they'll get to their goal next year. I'm very, I'm very confident. Um, and so we started surveying the teachers, uh, you know, in the models and not in the team-based models and not in the team-based models. Statistically significant results uh, in terms of these, these, again, this is all correlation. Don't read any causation into this. Careful, right? Like, uh, responsible statistics here. And more satisfied, reporting higher levels of uh, collaboration, less, less isolation. Um, yeah. they're, uh, they're, they're saying that during the pandemic, when they had to go out for 10 days of quarantine, that they had greater faith that their kids continued to learn in their absence. And, and that's not uh, going away. One that I, yeah. Oh my gosh. I was, I was, this, the last one was the one that I was waiting on. Right. I was like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. I'm so nervous about this because one of the top questions we get is you start to bring more kids and more adults together. Like might kids fall through the cracks? Like might you actually like, like harm the relationship? Like we, we have this, like this sort of like, idealized version of like teacher student relationship. And it's like, you know, the most beautiful thing ever, which is true for some of the kids, right? Like any of us that were ever teachers, like there are some kids that we just didn't click with, right? Hopefully our colleague actually is clicking with that kid, mm. right? But what we found in the data, this is teachers reporting. We're waiting on the students like side of the story, but the teachers are saying that they feel like in team-based models that they have better student-teacher relationships than the teachers working in one teacher, one classroom models. Interesting. Wow. And I think the reason, having observed in a lot of these places, right, I think that the reason is like you literally have teachers, professionals, talking to each other about like how, like what makes these kids click? How are we going to get this, this student to learn, right? It's not me sitting at Starbucks at like 9 p.m. on a Friday right. crushing through my data and planning like my next like my next move, um, I didn't do that on Friday ever, right? No, it's all <laughs> Thursday nights, uh, right? Instead, this is like, this is like educators sitting together around a table, like looking at student data, which then yeah. brings me to like, if I had to whisper any advice to school leaders out there about how to make this happen, or like, what's the death nail to this thing not actually working well? There's two things. One you got to have building level or systems level like cover, right? And some nudging, right? Because again, like the, deform the, the normative default 
way that we staff school is real strong. It's easy to snap back. And you need someone to be like, wait, wait, no, you got permission. Keep going. Keep going. You're going to get there. Right? That's one. You got to have top-down cover. Um, not a top-down initiative, but top-down cover. And you've got to make sure you got time to plan with your colleagues. Yeah. Like yeah. actually have teachers come together. And that's where we see schools doing really cool things like bringing in community educators for a period of day or for an intercession, right? Where like, it'll be, it'll be like a week of kids getting to learn about all kinds of cool stuff that the community knows a ton about. Yeah. Meanwhile, off stage, right? You've got your set of third grade teachers planning like crazy for the next like nine weeks. And they've got sheltered time to work together and pour over student data. The kid level uh, outcomes, I can't tell you anything about that yet. We're still waiting on the results. When they come in, I'm going to be shouting from the rooftops. Um, I, I hope that they're positive. Uh, we've had a lot of curveballs with COVID, as I'm sure, like, literally yeah. everyone listening has. So, Well, Brent, I mean, and Tom, what, what this I'm reflecting on is, uh, Brent, we had a, another guest, was Rick Hess. And oh, yeah. he's talking a lot about stuff that you've probably read a lot of his reading, his recent article on education after the pandemic, just saying how the, the, the teaching job is, is not sustainable. And no, it, it, you know, he, he, you know, Rick said, he, he just comes up with the ideas. It's people like you that then come up with the solutions. And, and this really seems to be a solution for the problem that he was talking about, that we're asking teachers to do too much, right. you know, yes. they're, they're writing curriculum, they're writing assessments, they're grading, they're teaching, they're supervising, they're proctoring the lunch. I mean, it, they're doing, they're doing like 10 they're doing everything. Yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. what, what I'm hearing from you and what I've read of, of your, your project, you're solving for that. Yeah. It's uh, you build teams of educators with distributed expertise exactly, and you allow them to lean into their strengths and passions. As opposed to yep. all the administrative and the, you know, the, the non-core things. You've got community people helping. I mean, when you just said that about the community. Task, yeah. We talk about task shifting, right? We borrow yeah. that term from, uh, from, from medicine, right? Like, let's analyze the job of being an educator and ask the question, right? Like, do we have the right person doing each of these right jobs, yeah. right? And it turns out that the job of teaching is very complex and has to be unpacked. But uh, when you start to do that, you do, you do enjoy, right? And, e and even like sometimes these models aren't more work, but the work that you're doing or aren't less work, but the, the work that you're doing is like, oh my gosh, like this is my strength. Like this is my like passion. Right. And it turns out, yeah. right. Like as humans, when we get into the thing that we really like, not the thing that we have to do, uh, then we do it a lot better and that we like showing up for work a lot more. And I, and I think that there are ways, right? Like we talk about four day school weeks, things like this, right? Like there's all this stuff in the news now. You know, I, I actually think that if we continue to tether ourselves to the one teacher, one classroom model, we are never going to take the next step in innovating and delivering on the promise for kids um, in terms of, of their academics and social emotional growth. Um, as you mentioned, some of the schools you're working with, have you worked with any Catholic schools or diocese across the country? Not yet, but I'm ready. Okay. Like, seriously. That's great. So, so like we are building, I don't know, I don't know when this podcast drops, but we are, we are actively building an inaugural cohort of schools across the country, school systems across the country who are interested in exploring what these models look like. 
The, like, this drops in September. Like if you if you're late to the party, we'll still take you. We'll catch you up, right? And like so, fall of 2022, it's all about learning, exploring, double clicking. Like you heard some today, but like this is like you know, it's like monthly sessions plus office hours, right? Your job is to like figure out does this make sense in my context? Yeah. Right? Can I juice this? Then the spring, it's like start small. You don't need to flip your whole school, your whole system at once. That's a terrible idea, right? Figure out where like a, 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 a pilot or two of a team-based model might really, really succeed. Set yourself up for success. Enjoy, stack the deck, right? You know the school that you would start this in. You know the team within the school, right? Like we'd all know who those people are. You start there, take the spring semester, ready that team and launch in 23. And if someone listening were interested in, in learning more, where uh, where would you direct them to go, Brian? So, I don't know. Show notes? Do we have show notes? <laughs> you can always go to, you know, uh, if you just Google next education workforce ASU, you're going to end up uh, where you need to go. And, uh, you know, we're doing this in partnership with AASA, the Superintendents Association. Mm -hmm. But again, let me boldly state, like, we love all schools, right? Like, I mean, charter traditional district, private, like whatever, right? Like we want great teaching and learning for kids and we want sustainable jobs for educators. And we think that like we are literally stronger together. And part of the reason that we're building this national cohort is because we just, we fundamentally believe that like ASU doesn't have all the answers. Oh my gosh, like what we need to do is bring people together in community and let them have these conversations structured, right? It's not like just loping yep. out in the, yep. but it's like, there, there, there is a school out there who has already figured out a lot of what we're talking about or that their next level of work, right, is something that another school has figured out. So how can we start to bring people together? Not about, it's like, you know, we're sort of curriculum agnostic, right? Really what we're talking about is the way that we deploy adults right. around kids. It's yeah. about workforce design. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, Brent, um, it's been great having you on the next class. Uh, I think you actually might have more energy and enthusiasm than Father Foley, which is saying a lot for our <laughs> listeners who listen to Father Foley. Uh, but we do have one final question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, who is your favorite teacher and why? Yeah, this is um, this is a, a pretty easy one for me, and uh, in, in re in rest in peace. Uh, his name um, was Stephen Sexton, and he was a founder of uh, Lighthouse Community Charter Schools in, uh, in the Bay Area. He was also, I, I entered the profession through Teach for America back in the previous century. And, um, you know, he was my, uh, he was my, he was my teacher trainer, you know, and it's like, it's one of these things when we talk about a one teacher, one classroom model, and you're just sort of lucky enough to get like teacher A. I was lucky enough to get Stephen Sexton. This is a guy that had studied with Ted Sizer, right? Like that he is like, I mean, he, he had a, he created a school that was founded um, with students at the center. Every single student had an IEP, an individualized education plan, because like every kid deserved that level of, uh, of bespoke care and attention. You know, universal learner, what's good for, for, for one is, is often good for all. 
Steven Sexton, without a doubt, has like put my work and life on a different trajectory. Wow. And I am wow. thankful to him every single day. Wow. wow. That's a great one. Um, well, listeners, thank you for joining us today on The Next Class. If you enjoyed today's uh, podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Give us a like on Apple iTunes or whatever you are listening to, or if you're on YouTube. Uh, and Brent, thank you again for joining us. It was a great yeah, conversation. Thank you, really, really fun and interesting and, and, and truly innovative. So listeners, please join us in the next class in a couple weeks.